Get in, fasten your seatbelt and we'll take you with us on our journey to pro cyclists. We pick them up in our broom wagon and travel through their careers. You're listening to Andreas Stauf, Paul Voss and Bastian Marx and after over 140 episodes of our German podcast Besenwagen, we're going international. My two colleagues are ex-pros, now also gravel pro, riders agent, performance manager and coach while I'm messing around in the cycling scene without ever having seen a single dollar for riding my bike. In Besenwang Worldwide we interview women's and men's pro riders and ask them what comes to our minds. By far not always serious. You're listening to three German guys, so please be kind while judging our English. Have fun and Abfahrt! Come in, take a seat, fasten your seatbelts. We are shortly taking off with destination Houston, Texas. We meet a cycling phenomenon, a cycling comic superhero, a cycling case of the X-Files. The man who continuously replaces impossible with possible and moves seemingly solid barriers in the oh-so-solid sport of cycling. We hope to bring light in the shadows of this mystery My name is Fox Muller, a.k.a. Bastian Marx. <laughs> my name is Paul Voss. And my name is Andy Stauf. And we pick up the man, the myth, Ashton Lambie. Hi, Ashton. Hi, how's it going? Um, yeah, we uh, just had to check out where you actually are because I already told you I did a lot of research, but uh, I couldn't bring light into your residence situation. <laughs> you were here, <laughs> That you were is there. reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it changes around a lot. Like I've worked with a lot of sponsors and there, you know, the number one question is always like, oh, well, what time zone are you in now? Or like, mm -hmm. where are you now? And I'm like, that is always such a reasonable question. <laughs> yep. Mm, as I too already told you, um, I listened already to, there are a lot of podcasts uh, where you've been a guest over the years. There are a lot of articles. And um, I told you, we try to ask questions you maybe didn't answer already before. So I will give a summary uh, of what you did so far and why we are so pleased that you are here. And uh, after that, we go in. So sorry for some two or three minute monologue I'll be trying to hold now. <laughs> Ashton yeah, Lambie. Yeah, do it. You got it. Ashton Lambie is uh, 31 years old. At this moment, we can congratulate because you had birthday on Sunday. Yes. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Congrats, man. Thanks, Congratulations. man. Mm. Uh, you were born and grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. You lived in Kansas. Uh, you've been a bike mechanic. You, I read, have a college major in music performance. Um, mm -hmm. You started cycling at around 15 and uh, yep. already tried like three years in road racing, but parking lot crits uh, didn't seem to light your fire um, uh -huh. still you seem to love bikes and tried some ultra distance ultra distance racing gravel racing and uh, kansas seemed to be a good place for that um actually you've been we have like about 150 podcast episodes in german and We started 2018 and you've been on one of the first of them <laughs> because really, yeah, uh, like this, this format, our English podcast is something like, uh, let's have guests we talked about 
before. <laughs> oh gosh, couldn't couldn't have on the podcast because we all only did it in German. Um, yeah, I, fair. I have. I have a friend in uh, in the US and he sent me 2018 an article from 2017 and mm -hmm. um, there you already were sixth at uh, Dirty Kansas which is unbound now mm -hmm. you, you had several cross state records in Kansas like from east to west or something you mm -hmm. did uh, long distance racing you were yeah you had that uh, first experience on that grass track you told a lot of times from and you tried uh, track racing on a real track and became national champion in 2017 in the individual pursuit mm -hmm. uh, which was incredible at that moment <laughs> nobody knew what would come afterwards <laughs> yeah yeah um, you and me both man yes uh, you kind of like racing in circles i read the sentence uh, uh racing is easier when you don't have to worry about running into a cow <laughs> yeah that's true there's a lot of variables out there <laughs> after your national title you became part of the infamous who bought bike team which you maybe mm -hmm. are still and um, um yeah we yeah. can talk about that later <laughs> exactly um and meanwhile you are world champion in individual pursuit and the first human who did the four kilometers under four minutes mm -hmm. that is that so far it's pretty crazy pretty incredible and um i hope yeah this was true so far <laughs> it's all true yeah you laid it out really well man good job <laughs> good good so um yeah i thought um We're starting with a silly question to warm us up. And um, I have to tell a story about that too. Uh, I just come off the bike. I did like uh, three hours outside. And uh, when I entered the city again, I saw an elderly man on a pretty cool 90s steel mountain bike in red. And mm -hmm. I was looking which brand it is. But it wasn't a brand, but it was branded with knickknacks. <laughs> And I thought uh, I'd ask you, which snack would you brand your bike with? Which is your favorite snack? Snack? Oh, oh, knickknack is a snack. Yes, you yeah, don't I, know it. It's like oh, pea, no, peanuts. I don't know it. <laughs> that's a German thing. That's, uh, okay. I think it's peanuts, like with like, uh, like paprika taste. So, but it's a, like yeah, a it's real like German paprika. That sounds great. Some wow. kind of fried. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. Um, it is. I would probably go with Reese's. Like, do you guys have Reese's over there? They're yeah. like the little little peanut butter cups. Yeah, yeah. I have I have Reese's uh, uh, like cream. You know, like to put on toast or like. Oh on bread. yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> good. Yeah. yeah, I love I love a nice Reese's. Like, I usually actually put them in the freezer. I really like them in the freezer, or like straight out of the freezer. A Andy, okay, I'm gonna try that one. <laughs> Andy and Paul, what is It's your good. favorite snack? Um, yeah, I, I like all this American stuff actually as well, like uh, like Reese's or I don't know, M M's. You know, M and M's, M &Ms are good. Yeah, yeah, they don't they melt, be which is nice. But M, &M, M, &M M's peanuts. Yeah, I, I do, mm. no, peanut butter. M and M peanut butter is nice. We I think you can't here in Germany. Think you, I think you can't get it in Germany, but I always buying it when I'm in the states, and it's uh, pretty nice. Uh. Hey, do you know spaghetti ice cream? 
No. <laughs> no, no one. And no. you have to come to Germany and eat spaghetti ice cream. Yeah, it's it's basically it's only like, in Germany. Uh, yeah, it's you could think it's from Italy, but it's not. It's a proper German thing. It's like <laughs> so, so you take vanilla ice cream and you put it like through like a pasta machine, which makes pasta, you know, yep. or like just yeah. simply said, and yeah. it's coming out like vanilla spaghetti noodles. <laughs> noodles, yeah, spaghetti oh, ice pasta, weird. and then you put like <laughs> on the bottom you put like uh, cream. And on, cream, top, yeah. Uh, yeah, and on top the, the ice cream and then like vanilla sauce and then like white sprinkles, choco sprinkles. Strawberry it's sauce. awesome. And that yeah, sounds good. Yeah. It's wow. actually, actually the best ice cream <laughs> available <laughs> in Germany. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. All right. Okay. So that and knickknacks are on the list. Spaghetti ice cream and knickknacks. <laughs> knickknacks are pretty, pretty neat. Um, yeah. Next question. Is this your first time in a broom wagon? Uh, the broom isn't the broom wagon like what sweeps up the back yeah, of the race. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is the German name of our podcast. It's Besenwagen, and this, oh. this means broom wagon. And we all okay. I didn't know that. That really <laughs> helps clarify the question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I've ever done a race that has a broom wagon. You know, like I thought so. Like sometimes. Uh, you know, if you don't finish a gravel race, it's kind of on you to get back to the start. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's true. Yeah. Like I did a gra a local gravel race on Saturday and most, like I wasn't really racing. It was just kind of like to go outside of town and check out some new gravel roads. And so it was like four laps around a 15, like a, a 15 mile circuit, 25 Ks. And I just did three laps and I was like, Uh, I'm kind of tired. Like, this is good. I, I can just stop here. So, I mean, I guess that counts as the broom wagon, but like, I didn't have to go get picked up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we interview um, a whole lot of road pros, most of them have a story about the broom wagon. And I wanted to ask you, but I already thought you've never been in a broom wagon before. <laughs> I have DNF'd races. I mean, there, I remember one race, um, it doesn't happen anymore, but it was this race that was, uh, like 340 miles across Iowa. And it was a year they had minimum speeds and like time checkpoints. And there was, I did it in a year where no one finished, like literally a hundred people started and no one made it through the time cuts. Um, so <laughs> it just literally no one finished the race. Um, And so like we got to the first checkpoint and they were like, oh, you guys missed the checkpoint by like, you know, 20 minutes because we had to walk probably a two mile section of road that was just impassable. Um, and there was someone's car there that they had, you know, we, it was absolutely dumping rain, uh, probably 35 degrees, like maybe two degrees Celsius. And so we were all just like freezing and everyone was like sweaty and gross. And we all piled into this person's car that, uh, you know, he just had the heat full, full blast and it smelled so bad. And it was like <laughs> everything in the car was just like gritty and nasty. And like, I'm pretty sure we might've totaled the car. It's like, <laughs> it was just, it was, it was bad. because the, the checkpoint was just out in the middle of nowhere. And it was like, oh, well, how are we supposed to get back to town? And so some of us rode and some of us like, you know, hopped in various cars that went back, but 
I guess that kind of counts. That's probably the closest I have to like a broom wagon story. Yes. That's basically a boom wagon. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, well, you, there you we jumped go. In, you, you jumped into a car <laughs> and not finishing the race. So that's like. <laughs> okay. That, yeah. Okay. That, that's so you got a boom wagon story. But like. All right. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I just want to jump in and not. I mean, Basti has another few questions, but like, I would like to know about like hoop, what bikes like about the team. It's like you just yeah. said, like you. I don't know. Are you still part of it or not? Not really. I mean, the team never had like a formal, you know, okay, we're all done with it. But I think it was one of those where when the UCI had that rule change to ban trade teams, um, we all kind of found other stuff to do. And so then, you know, like Dan's doing stuff with the Danish team and, you know, with his hour record and all that exciting stuff. Um, You know, Johnny's still training. Kyle's with the Scottish team. Um, you know, I'm doing the gravel thing. Like every, you know, we all still stay in touch pretty well, but there's not really like much of a who bought bike team. There's no like registered team anymore. Mm, I'm, it was. Let me so let me shortly explain what who bought bike team is because not everyone will know. Um, people normally know track teams by national teams, and um, yeah. In, I don't know which year, was it 2016, 17, a trade team came up and it was called Who Bought Bike Team. And there were some dudes who just made different approach to racing, like more logical, more mathematical. And um, they started to win against national teams. And um, yeah, they, I think they were casting people and uh you ashton were <laughs> on their list and you joined mm -hmm. the team and um i think it was was it last year that the uci like forbid trade teams two or years, called two years, two years ago, ago yeah two they, years ago it was the 2019 2020 yeah. season they just said okay now it's not the the world cup anymore it's the nation's cup and just mm -hmm. allowed uh, only national teams and this was the like kind of end of that team now paul you can ask further yeah i mean like for me i was a bit involved in like track cycling i was working for like a german team and <clears throat> we had like heiko seitzwedel as a coach and uh we had like a few under 23 uh track riders and um so like i knew you and also like the whole program around the hoop and uh, i found <laughs> it always really exciting Because you 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 kind of like changed uh, track cycling a bit, you know, like in a team pursuit, like the the way how you entered it, like your, your tactics, you know, like doing long pulls and not finishing, mm -hmm. with, not having the goal of finishing with four guys going down to three and so on. And it was quite nice to see. And also the gear, the gears you used were we went big, big. Yeah. yeah, bloody hell. But I mean, now everyone is doing that. <laughs> but uh, but I think you were the first ones who really going really really big. Then you had these unbelievably you could say ugly helmets but also because they're so over the top the puck helmets you can say it they were goofy looking helmets yeah they but, still are yeah but you know like all these things and you just yeah you just made it more exciting to watch at least in my eyes and i really enjoyed oh, it thanks, they're, man. they're like someone from outside comes in with like not that big of a budget and then uh big nationalities like uk you know as a gb not being able to like uh, actually beat you guys, you know, sometimes. So that was, yeah. was kind of ni nice to see. 
Thanks. Yeah, it was fun to do it. I mean, I learned a lot. Like, it was a really good group of guys. Like, everyone was really motivated. We were all really invested and got some incredible results. It was fun. Yeah. yeah. But were they also part of your, like, uh, attempt to break the four-minute barrier for, like, uh, the four case? I mean, I've I've worked with Hoob as a personal clothing sponsor for, like, the last three years. Mm -hmm. So they helped, you know, with the suit for the sub four attempt and for worlds, basically. I mean, they make some incredibly fast kit and skin suits and like, um, you know, they're really on the pulse with like new fabrics and testing and manufacturing processes. Like they, they make some really fast kit. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. But so, but Dan wasn't a part of the whole project. Yeah. Dan, Dan was involved. I mean, mostly like, He, I, I didn't go work with him or do any specific testing, but you know, that's just more like we're just buddies and I'm like, Hey, you know, can you take a look at this power file and like, you know, take a look at these splits and tell me what I should be doing. You know, And even at worlds, uh, you know, when after the qualifier, he sent me some splits over and was like, Oh, okay, this is, you know, this is how that went. Um, you know, this is what your catch did. This is what you should do for the next ride. So like, Uh, I mean, part of it's, he likes it. And part of it is that's a system I'm really familiar working with. Um, it's just like his analysis and everything. So I think, yeah, having him, you know, be able to be in contact and, you know, just as a resource is huge. Yeah. He, I mean, he's wicked smart and he's crazy good at what he does. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you can see it with like, uh, the Denmark team were basically, totally. I mean, I mean, I didn't want the, the Olympic gold, but, uh, Before that, um, I guess if the Olympics would have been like 2020, I might have won it. Um, because they were flying in the worlds before in Berlin. They were. In Berlin. Well, and it's it also like, I, yeah. you know, even just the fact that it's Denmark going, you know, I mean, there's as many people as live in Denmark as probably like most of all of Berlin. Like it's not a very big country and for them to be swinging up against really, you know, big, well-funded nations. I think that kind of attests to Dan's ability to do a lot with very little. I was wondering, what was your average watts on these four minutes? I couldn't find it. Well, at altitude, it ended up being like around 480. I didn't have a power meter, so we don't know exactly. Okay. Mm, and how is the, the power curve? Like, How many watts or how long do you need a lot more watts to come up to that speed? Um, my start power actually isn't insane. I think it's because more of it is based around torque. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So it's like being able to generate, you know, 900 watts, but you're at 40 RPMs. Mm. Um, so, you know, within the first... 30 to 50 meters, you know, your cadence isn't getting above 70. Mm -hmm. Like that might be your max cadence for the first quarter lap, but you have to be able to put out like 800 Watts, 800 to a thousand Watts for that first, that first half lap probably. And then usually I think it's like the first lap ends up being around 800 Watts and then settles in, um, you know, somewhere between, Four, 450 and 500. Mm -hmm. mm. How does the journey look like in your brain for that four minutes? I mean, like 
there's the choreography of the start, you know, like you, you guys ride tracks. So there's that very specific, like, you know, you thrust the hips, you start the bike side to side, you keep the head down, you get on the gear, you get into the skis. So you get through that choreography and then it's kind of settling in and like, okay, absorbing the load of the start, staying focused on the lines, staying focused on the times for the first two K and not letting that run away from you. That was something I didn't do for the first attempt. Um, and then talked with my partner, Christina, that she really emphasized that was like, Oh, okay. You know, this race is really just like, it's the first two K where you can win or lose it. And then, you know, whatever happens in the last K happens, but you have to think about racing the first 2k and keeping that as dialed as possible. And then, I mean, yeah, by the last like six laps, it's just full, full gas. I mean, you're just everything you have to keep the legs turning over. Mm. I just find that really crazy. I mean, I have done track riding as well, like as a junior, but I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't really that good, but, um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, Yeah, like, I mean, I, I find, like, especially, like, team pursuit or individual pursuit, like, really beautiful to watch. And it's just insane, like, when you see the gears, you know, and everything, and, and it has to be a perfect run, you know, like, the perfect yeah. way to be able to go, like, sub for, and not even, like, uh, Philip Ogana has it done so far. And uh, yeah, I, I just find that crazy. But, like, how is it, so, so how, how do you prepare for that mentally, like, before the event you know i mean it's it's a big pressure i guess it's also a bit of money involved you know like all the preparation time and so on and uh, yeah yeah i mean you know everything kind of comes together on the day um but i'd done a lot of like specific training around that um so leading into mexico i had my i actually didn't have any track access just because we were in montana um and so i had my track bike on the tax turbo, you know, to be able to do erg mode workouts. That was basically like, okay, you need to maintain this power in this position for this time. Um, and so I, yeah, up until the day of, I hadn't done a full standing 4k. It's not like I, that's the only training I do, you know, um, we split up a lot of the intervals so you could get more power, more time at that power, but by changing like work to rest ratios and that kind of thing. Um, kind of keeps it fresh, keeps it mixed up. Um, yeah, that was, that was kind of it, I guess. Does that yeah. answer the question? Uh, yeah, yeah. But like, is it, do you have like your coat on coach or is it your own? No, I don't, I don't have a coach. <laughs> nice. Okay. So like you, you're just writing your own program and, uh, controlling yourself. Mm -hmm. I worked with Chris Del Sega up in the lead in up until Mexico, but he took another job. So, um, I didn't work with him, uh, until a little before Mexico. And then, you know, up until worlds, I was all self-coached. Okay. That's actually crazy mm -hmm. because I find it hard to coach myself. It can be, it works for some people. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with, two really good coaches for, well, three for a number of years. Like since I started in 2016, I worked with a British sprint coach, Lee Povey. Um, I worked with a cycling coach, Ben Sharp here in the U S um, who's more of an endurance coach and then working with my strength coach, Crystal Sega. Uh, but like really, I mean, down in Mexico and even at worlds too, like having Christina there 
to be able to talk me through everything and just like keep my head on straight as someone who's also been in that incredibly high performance and high stress environment. Like, yeah, she really pushes me to not just always do more stuff, but just to like make better decisions. Um, and so, yeah, it's really helpful having her around. Did you save a special bottle of whiskey to celebrate the sub four? Um, what did we have? Uh, we did. I can't, I can't exactly remember what we did when we got back. I know we went out to, um, we went out to dinner at like a really nice Mexican restaurant in Mexico in August. That was mm -hmm. really fun after. Um, but it was a little bit of a whirlwind, you know, when we got back, like just landing and, and then, you know, getting ready for, for Christina's stuff and, you know, getting back to the ranch and everything. Mm. I just read that you, in the past, in gravel racing, you had that, uh, like, ritual to to um, celebrate with a bottle of whiskey when you achieved something. Yeah, mm. and we, we had a bottle of uh, Lagavulin, which is, like, my go-to. It's so mm. good. <laughs> um, next thing I think about after the world record in the individual pursuit is what would you rather do? the world record uh, on an hour or on 24 hours 24 hours nice <laughs> <laughs> that one's put down pretty hard though i mean chris yeah, Souser, i think has it like that guy's a legend we had yeah. um uh christoph uh strasser strasser um, that's right strasser. sorry we had him on the podcast in german like not so long ago oh. after, after he broke it <laughs> mm. i mean Oh my gosh, that guy. Yeah. And he's got so many records. Like he's just an ultra distance machine, man. I have so much respect for that guy. He's incredible. Yeah. Like he won seven times or something, the race across America. Mm, and he's, yeah, it's completely mental what yeah. he does. <laughs> he's something else. Yeah. yeah. Um, because you're just talking about like ultra distance racing and then also like about like a f sub four minute record on the track, which are like, totally different disciplines you know yeah. also like what is required <laughs> and yeah like is your or has your body changed a lot or i mean i don't know i think we will come to your plans for next year but like um yeah like muscle mass whatever you know like is that is that more now or you're always as like muscly as you at the moment i mean Paul, you have to check his Instagram account there. You can see that he's pretty good at lifting weights. Yeah, I know that. I know that. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's for the track stuff. You have to do that. But like for ultra distance racing, I guess you yeah, you don't need You it. still do gym? For ultra distance racing. Yeah, yeah I do. I do gym year round. Um, it's something I've always gone really well off of and I feel a lot better on the bike. You know, if I'm doing deadlifts on a regular basis, that kind of thing. Um I mean, I, my body will like naturally, you know, fluctuate weight a little bit, but it's not something I've ever like really tried to control or like, oh, well, I'm going to do a faster workout or I'm not going to, I'm going to measure my food. Like, um, after when I went to Mexico, that was the heaviest I've been for a long time because it was such an anaerobic effort. Um, so the muscle mass was quite important. And I was close to 80 kilos. And then really after that, I was also doing really low volume and a lot of high intensity. And 
after Mexico, even just like adding in some more long rides. And basically I was kind of burned out. So I just did like some intervals, a lot of Zwift racing and a couple of long rides. And I just pretty naturally dropped like three kilos, three or four Mm -hmm. kilos. So I think like now I'm kind of going back to some more long rides. And I, I like, honestly, I haven't weighed myself in probably at least a month. Mm, actually, now, yeah, let's go to the gravel section. Mm, I don't know if you know, but I think next year you will also compete against Paul here. <laughs> And Ooh, we, have to, <laughs> we have to check out how to beat you. So I already discovered that um, you don't like the mass start events so much and uh, you try to go like full gas from the start or pretty high speed so uh, that you drop uh, a lot of the competitors. Um, yeah, I like a smaller group. Yeah, I hope Paul can stay in. Like, Paul, where are you going to meet? Where do you think? I mean, I applied also for the Lifetime Grand Prix, but uh, <clears throat> I haven't got a spot. But I guess we will see an Unbound and other other races. So I'm still yeah. waiting for like, the, the entries like for Steamboat Gravel and all this stuff. But um, And Belgium Ruffle, I don't know if you're doing that. It's maybe a bit too hilly for you. I wasn't planning on doing that. I've never done a Belgian Waffle ride. I feel like I kind of missed the boat on BWR and SBT Gravel. Like, yeah. I don't know. Uh There's not like a particular reason I haven't done them, but maybe maybe I'll make it eventually. I don't know. But you have also like shitload of events uh, in gravel in the states. I I think Pete Stanley told me it's around 700 or yeah. Rounds. There's so, a lot, so and, it's uh, it's also like <laughs> unless there's a sponsor or someone that's like, hey, we really want you to go to this race. It's like, well, there's probably like two or three other local events I can go to and just drive to, and that's way more appealing for me a to support local cycling b i don't love flying <laughs> it's just logistically a lot easier i like being at home yeah. Yeah. The, the weird thing is really like you know i did this you like two belgian rough rides and i i couldn't do unbound because of like travel restrictions but um yeah so, so like i have to fly to the states to actually do the sports i want to do because in europe we basically don't have proper races we have more like these backpacking events and backpacking races like this ultra distance stuff but not really like proper racing as you do in the states uh, which makes it sometimes really really tough but um it's it's a total totally different world over there like also in in regards to like road cycling and so on and uh, i find it interesting that you coming from gravel racing and then going to the track and now I don't know, breaking the world record and now going back to uh, gravel and basically taking part in this series where you have to do also mountain bike races. And um, if you're a shit descender, it's maybe not the best for mountain biking, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see how that goes. I'm not a very good uh, mountain bike handler. But um, why you applied for that series? Like just for like having fun or you, you actually... Yeah, you want to try to be on the podium or whatsoever? Um, I mean, I think having fun is huge. Um, it seems like a cool event. Like, I I kind of view it as supporting, you know, a, 
Oh, supporting a race series that supports local races versus like, I think there was a lot of talk about the UCI coming in and starting their own race calendar. And so I, I kind of view the Lifetime Series as an answer to that um, of like, oh, okay, well, we're going to give pros this opportunity. Um, and I think there's a lot of good reasons like to support that over a UCI race calendar. Not to say that like, I had to choose one or the other, but, um, the lifetime thing looked exciting. It looks new. And I hope to be able to bring like some sort of more permanent or like notoriety to it. Like just that it'll stick around and people are like, Oh wow, this thing's kind of a big deal. Like, um, you know, hopefully inspire people and get to meet some exciting people at races too. I, I forgot, I forgot one question I want to ask before for the track size, like, you know, for, for the most track riders, the Olympic, the Olympics are a big goal. Is it for you? Again? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, unfortunately there's no individual pursuit. Maybe it's kind of, yeah. you know, you're but telling me, like, but, but for the, <laughs> for the team pursuit, I don't know if the States actually has a really good team, which is able to qualify. Well, we didn't, we couldn't qualify for 2020. That's why I didn't go. But you think it's a possibility for like uh, 24 in Paris? Um, no, I don't think I'm going to do it. I mean, I, I'll be 35 then. Like, ah, I'm good. So are you actually having any goals left on the track or are you, you're kind of happy and like not moving over to gravel and supporting your girlfriend? Yeah, I'm pretty happy. So, I mean, yeah, like she's got some incredible stuff going on. Like I still get to keep riding gravel and doing stuff that I find to be really exciting, you know, fulfilling. Like it's tough to beat that, man. Paul, can you explain the Lifetime series uh, again? Because uh, not everyone will know. And actually, I I know what it is, but I didn't like really comprehend what it is. Yeah, so Lifetime well, is, yeah, oh, yeah, so it's a... No, okay. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I think, I think <laughs> so you can. Both, we, we both know what it is, but your English is better than mine. So it's <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, your German's better than mine, but I won't explain it in German. Um, it's yeah. So lifetime is like, uh, I think a gym company, like a fitness company in the U S that owns a handful and they've bought and provided, you know, bigger funding mm -hmm. for a lot of races. Um, sometimes like some of the smaller races that end up blowing up, go through a little bit of growing pains, just like you're, you're starting a race, you know, with a thousand people in a town that, you know, the population is 10,000 people. Like there's going to be logistical issues. And so lifetime kind of helps with that. Um, but so they have this series of six races that they're going, they like created an, a sort of a, uh, an Omnium format for like a world cup format where they selected 30 people, um, 30 or sorry, 60 people, 30 men, 30 women, um, so equal spots, equal payout, which is awesome. And, um, yeah, so it'll be like an overall points total for that series. You have to do five out of the six or, you know, like if you DNF one, that doesn't count towards your total. And then you have to do the last one, which is, uh, in Arkansas. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's kind of a way to sort of cement in like a little bit Uh, a little bit of like an annual gravel calendar as far as like what the big races are. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, it's a, the sports in an interesting spot because what a lot of people like about it is the lack of structure and the lack of a governing body. 
but there's also like it still leaves a little bit of a void like there will be people governing bodies do serve a function as like, like having some sort of point system or some sort of overall structure to gravel racing and so i think by lifetime filling that role it sort of you know gives them an opportunity to create a new system instead of like oh okay well there's no one here so we're just going to let the uci come in and do it and then you have to have a pro license and you know there's all these specific regulations and rules um and drug testing is another thing too like the 60 athletes that are in this pool are also su subject to i think just in competition testing but that's something that hasn't been a huge issue but i've heard people you know like kind of mumblings about it of just there's there's money on the line there's sponsorships on the line like having some sort of transparency in the sport's also important so does that answer your question yes it did <laughs> so what is do, do you already have a new ultimate goal or you said you are kind of burnout out like after your uh, sub four attempt are you still finding your new goal oh i'd say i'm still finding i mean a big gravel season there's lots of little mini goals um you know helping christina and go mm -hmm. achieve her goals and get through two years of afghan <laughs> training is a big goal like yeah uh learning how to mountain bike is a big goal <laughs> <laughs> How are you gonna? Um, how are you gonna do that? Probably fall over a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How else do you learn? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you could actually ask a ask a guy to teach you like the techniques or something like yeah, that. Yeah, we're we're planning on doing that. Um, Christina raced a lot of cross, so she's got some friends that are very competent mountain bikers. I mean, I guess I don't need someone, you know, like I don't need a pro mountain biker to teach me. <laughs> I need someone who's just a little bit better than I am and isn't going to get bored. <laughs> yeah. But for example, in, in Europe, like the world tour teams on the road, they sometimes they ask like a MTB pro to teach them how to descend. So oh, geez. Why? That's kind of cool. Yeah. So why not? Yeah. Maybe I'll have to do that. Yeah. Get, get some mountain bike classes. Yeah, our last guest in German uh, was offering airtime camps. <laughs> airtime? Oh, God. Airtime. I, I would still like to keep both both wheels on the ground. <laughs> I think you you can in, in Lifetime series. Uh, I hope they don't have big jumps or drops. <laughs> I've heard that the, the mountain bike races that they have are pretty, like, they're long, but they're still pretty mm -hmm. beginner friendly. So I feel good about that. Is, I think I got a good shot to make it through with all my bones intact. Is Leadwill a thing for you? Yeah, that's part of the series. Ah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so that's Didn't a big, that. big, yeah, that's a big push for both of us. We're both going to try and get, do Leadville this year. Okay, okay. Um, your your partner, uh, Kristin, we, we were mailing like for a while, for some weeks. Um, I was inviting you to the show and you said, yeah, the beginning of December, there's big news. And That's I was wondering amazing. what it's going to be. And it, it was that thing, like explain how that happened. She, she just like, uh, applied for that job. Yeah. So she, you guys should have her on the podcast sometime yeah. too, which is by the way, <laughs> it'd be super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, she applied for it like, uh, summer, spring of last year. So it's quite a long process. I mean, 12,000 people applied. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they had two rounds of interviews and she actually got the call, um, the same day 
in between my rounds at the world championships. Wow. So like I rode qualifiers and then, you know, finished and she called me like, you know, pretty out of breath and like really excited. And I was just like, Oh man, like, you know, a four Oh three is all right. But I didn't think it was that good of a ride. And she was like, no, I'm not in. And I was like, Oh my God. Like it was, yeah, it's just, it's such an incredible thing. You know, how do you wrap your head around that? Yeah. yeah but probably you had some like kind of a boost after that. Yeah. It was a little bit of a boost and it was also a little bit of just like, well, I mean, bike races are cool, but like, you know, a world champion's cool, but orbiting that world is even cooler. Like, <laughs> holy shit, what am I doing here? How, <laughs> how probable is that? Like, how are the chances for her to go to space now? Like from, for us, it's zero, but <laughs> is it sure that she's going to space? Pretty sure. Yeah. Nice. I mean, there's, there's two years of training. Um, and then she's eligible to be selected for a mission. But I mean, it's like, you know, it's not, it, it, it's way less random at that point. Um, it's just, I, I find it really crazy to be honest. Like you and me both, man. Yeah. And it's such a cool time <laughs> for space travel, you know? Yeah. 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 But like, you know, just to be able, like firstly that you yeah. are fit enough and good enough and smart enough to, to be selected, but then also like, that you actually have real big chance on going to like space and not with like Tesla or Amazon or whatever, but like, <laughs> uh, but like proper to space. And but Paul, like, you can do I, that still with no, no, <laughs> Amazon. I, I, no, yeah. <laughs> if I have a few millions left then I could do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. If the podcast goes big. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, but I, I really find that, find that crazy and uh, I can't get my head around it. It's like, I mean, I don't know her, mm. but it's just like, you know, someone out of the sighting community, it's just going then to space and um, it's probably the closest I get to someone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's incredible <laughs> to be like, even, even around it, you know, just um, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. You guys got to get around the pot. That'd be fun. How, how did you guys meet? Like, was it in cycling? Yeah. Yeah. Cause she raced for the national team, you know, she's world cup medalist and, 11-time national champion and Olympic long team, all this other stuff. Um, I asked some listeners uh, to give me some questions for you. And one of uh, the questions was, um, I shall ask you if uh, the guy uh, shall start studying bioengineering. <laughs> like from your perspective, would you recommend? <laughs> would I recommend someone study bioengineering? Yes. <laughs> That's what your, uh, your girlfriend does. Isn't it? That's what Christina, yes. yeah, that's, yeah, that's what her doctorate was in. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess if they want to be an astronaut or something, go for it. What, what, you, <laughs> I just, <laughs> what would you do if you don't get an astronaut with bioengineering? What was she doing before? Um, well, I mean, in between cycling, like she was working, she did a lot of, uh, like, technical writing jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, she's quite a good writer mm -hmm. and it was flexible to be able to work around, you know, a, a pro cycling schedule. Like I remember yeah. there were times when we had a training camp in Poland, I remember like every, you know, everyone else is napping and she's like writing about all sorts of sciencey stuff and robots and, you know, writing these really technical papers. And I was just like, this is cool. I'm going to go nap for a little bit. <laughs> 
Okay, I think I can hear that you're putting on your cycling shoes and you're closing the boas. I am. I was like... trying to be quiet. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. But I'm still no, here. No. I'm... Yeah, no, no. All good. I just. So my last question will be: I saw on the list yet you're a garlic farmer. Is that right? <laughs> I used to. Yeah. Well, when I lived in Nebraska, we yeah a little bit more, but I don't do that that much anymore. Okay, that will have been my next question. If you if you're still doing that while living in Houston, but I guess it's a bit. It's a bit tougher there, but you're living in the city or outside? We're living like in the city. Like we're, uh, we've got like a great view of downtown. It's awesome. But it must There's be a huge change. Yeah. It's a huge change. Yeah. When we came down here from central Montana, where we were spending the summer, you know, central Montana, the, the best I've heard someone was describing it and they're like, oh yeah, there's a lot of nature there, which is a nice way of saying there's <laughs> a lot of nothing there. <laughs> um, And so like, yeah, we came down from central Montana and just went to a grocery store the first day. And it was like, so, so much sensory overload. Like there were more people in the grocery store than we saw all summer. Like it was just, it was pretty overwhelming to get down here and be like, you know, trying to figure out like traffic jams or, you know, like it's, it's insane. Like it's such a huge city and there's so much to do. It's easy to just be like, oh, I can't handle it right now. But it, it's fun. Like we're we're getting to explore a lot of the city, and the food here is incredible. Like we've gone to some restaurants, and it's just like the food is so good, and there's so much of it, and it's so reasonably priced. Just like everywhere you go, even like a a cheap little food truck, it's like the food is incredible. Andy, do you have questions left? I think so. Do it. <laughs> I was just. Uh... No, I was just thinking about a movie I once saw that <laughs> that had had his uh, plot in Montana. So <laughs> um, we still haven't watched Yellowstone, but I know that that's about Montana, and we need to watch it. Okay. Mm, okay. My last question is: um, Can you remember your biggest bonk? Biggest one. The biggest one. Yeah, I, I think you had some. <laughs> I've like probably had one. some. Um, yeah, there was one, one time during the, I, I don't know if it was a bonk necessarily. Um, but like during the, the crossing Kansas thing, there was a moment at like probably two or three in the morning. And it was like, uh, I, I was coming up on a, a, a like exchange, you know, like, a an intersection, sorry. And there was a sign that was like, Oh, detour construction ahead. And I was, I just felt like this pit in my stomach and I was just like, Oh my God, this is going to be like, you know, another two hours or something. Um, and I was on pace, but it or like a little bit up and I was just like, Oh God, you know, and obviously your mental state at three in the morning is not the most positive outlook. <laughs> and so, you know, the support car rolls up and they're like, Oh, you know, we've looked at everything. Like there's no, there's no detours. There's no nothing like this is going to add eight miles. So you just have to do it. And I was just like, uh, I mean, I would take a bonk over that kind of, you know, demoralization because yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. just grab a Snickers and fix the road instantly. Okay. Then last thing you have to nominate. Yeah. You, you can nominate a guest for our podcast. I guess you already have. 
yeah, I would nominate Christina. Absolutely. A cyclist who's now a NASA astronaut candidate. Like, I don't know. It's funny because we, we've like, we went and checked out the zip SRAM headquarters and, you know, they were all, all the staff there. And even the CEO was pretty excited about it. And she was like, Oh geez. And I was like, yeah, but like, you know, people, people meet world champions all the time. You know, there's a hundred world champions in different disciplines every year, but like no one in the cycling community has ever met an, a NASA astronaut candidate. Like, come on, this is cool. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, there's my nomination. All right. Good one. Um, cool. Well, thanks for having me on guys. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks for, for hopping in. Yeah. We can release you for your ride. Yeah. Got five minutes left. Crazy. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> okay. Then my last question on what bike are you going out now? Um, I am on my speed wagon right now, just because it's like probably the most versatile bike I have. And we only had room for one bike. Yeah. It's, it's so, a nice, it's a, it's a custom frame, I guess. Huh? It's a custom frame. I've got the dynamo set up on it. Like uh, it's nice. just, it's good for whatever I want to throw at it. So yeah. that's the one I decided to bring down. Yeah, they're doing beautiful bikes. Yeah. They do. Oh, they make beautiful bikes. All right. And how long are you going to ride? It's only about an hour. 35Ks on Zwift. Are you, are you going on Swift now? Yeah, you guys okay. should hop on. <laughs> Get a quick 35 in. Uh, no, I think I have some appointments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just book them. All right. Uh, next week. All right. Thank, thank you, Ashton. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.